What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the show, we have a special guest who wears multiple hats in real estate. He's a successful Airbnb investor. He does short-term rental management, and he also has been a real estate agent in three different states now, sells a lot of homes. Welcome to the show, Connor Cushman. All right. Welcome to the show today, Connor. How are you doing? Thanks, Dan. Good to be back with you live. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, been a while since we connected. So um, I'm super thankful to have you on the podcast and share your background with our audience. Uh, you know, and you bring a unique background because you wear a couple of different hats from the short-term rental uh, investor and management side to the agent side. So uh, why don't you give our listeners and viewers just a quick snippet of who you are and, and how you got to this point in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. So I got started in real estate in uh, like most uh, studying it for a couple of years, but really around 2018, 2019 is when I started to get licensed and get serious about investing in real estate. Since then um, I've sold real estate in, in three different States. I started in, originally in Utah, but pretty quickly moved my business back to Georgia. I'm from North Georgia and that's where I live now um, and primarily sell real estate in Georgia. And recently the, the Florida panhandle uh, is a market I've expanded to uh, along the way, as I got dialed into the agent business, I also started investing and those two things have um, supported each other very well. So, at this point, I have two long-term rentals and five short-term rentals. Um, the long-term rentals are local to me in, in the North Metro Atlanta area. And then I've got two North Georgia cabins, two Tennessee cabins in the Pigeon Forge, um, uh, Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg market. And then I have a Florida Panhandle property as well. Um, and then I do a little bit of co-hosting and, 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 and kind of dabbling in that space as well uh, as I've gotten really dialed in on my own, uh, short-term rental management portfolio. Um, but yeah, just feel, still feel like I'm early in, in all of this and, uh, and really seeing the growth and, and the maturity of, of my business across the board. What's is co-hosting the same as being a manager or, or is it slightly different? So a lot of people maybe, you know, yeah. would need some elaboration on that. Yeah. Good question. So, there are probably multiple definitions you could find of what a co-host means. Um, the way I think about co-hosting is, is I'm kind of filling a gap between the traditional management option that people have where they're paying really high fees and have no visibility into the cash flow of their, their short-term rental. Um, and then there's the self-management side. So I manage all my properties, but I've found I've often turned away my own clients from being their co-host um, and, and started to kind of open myself up to that because there's this middle ground where people don't necessarily want the full turnkey experience with a management company and some of the downsides that come with that, the higher cost and the lack of visibility, but then they also don't want to self-manage. And so I think there's probably a spectrum of co-host options where that lives in the middle where I can help with pricing strategies, marketing, guest communications, um, design, and, and kind of some maintenance and upkeep based on feedback from the cleaners and kind of managing some of the contractors and stuff where they don't have to be in the day-to-day, -day, but there's better visibility to cash flow and, and, uh, and things like that. 
So is is co-hosting really just done on on the platform? Like you're you're listed on there with the owner, or... right? Yeah, and like on Airbnb, for example, you're actually just that's what it is. You're added as a co-host. Verbo BRBO is a little bit different in the way they structure it, but uh, similar. And then, what is your if you're a co-host, like what? Uh, you know, what are your responsibilities or is it everyone negotiate differently? And like, like why would, why would an owner, you know, want to go that route versus self-management or doing it on their own? Yeah. Right. So like, because there are owners that maybe they're say a doctor and they're like literally in surgery during the day and they get a message from a guest and they can't handle it. Like that's a good example of someone who would maybe, but then in the evenings or, you know, they have a spouse who can handle a lot of the responsibility and they enjoy it and want to be involved and don't want to pass it off to a management company. Um, that's why I say there's probably a spectrum of co-host options and somewhat of a new like function and uh, option for people. And I, I interact with lots of different co-hosts in the space as well who offer a different list of kind of responsibilities and therefore also different pricing strategies and, and models too. So I think that's a a good option for a lot of people who would m probably drive better revenue for their short-term rental than say self-management. Um, so it's also a, it's a time pain, you know, alleviation, but it's also a potential revenue. Um, you know, you can offset the cost of it with, with higher revenue for a lot of people. Are they, are they getting more as the ho as the owner, are they getting more visibility because like a more active super host, person is is on there like is it helping them get more bookings you think that's a good question on the algorithm side i wouldn't be surprised if there are some algorithm boosts like for airbnb if you've got a super host like me added to your listing i don't know that for sure but i would imagine so and if it's not currently at play it could be something that gets involved um yeah that's a good question i guess the the, the other advantage too is like uh, I know if, if you're a, if you, you know, pay someone to manage it and then they're, they put the listing up and host it, like you don't, you get all this history and reviews built up, but then you're, you lose all that if you ever get rid of that manager, like they own the listing. So I think that would probably be another big advantage of why you might go this route. Yeah. That's one of my big pitches is like, Hey, no. And also like contracts. I think a lot of these legacy management companies have these nasty contracts that are in my opinion, sometimes predatory. And so for me, it's like pretty clean. If, if we need to part ways, we part ways, you keep your listing, you get all those reviews to your point. Um, so it's, it's a good deal. And I think more people will, will go that direction than, uh, than management companies over time. How do you get your clients? Do you, are they reaching out to you? Are you searching for them? How does, how does that work? On the co-hosting or the realtor? Yeah, on, on the co-host side. Co-host side has been only inbound so far, and my my best opportunities are coming as I close clients on new STRs. So a pool of my, my buyer clients fits the category of uh, potential conversion to a co-host arrangement. And I'm not looking to, I, I, currently I'm not looking to this massive business. I have, I have one, uh, looking at a second one, and I'm, I'm keeping it pretty tight to make sure that I can give, you know, give the quality experience that they need. So. Okay. Let's, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about your real estate sales business. Sure. Uh, was that, and that's what you started in first, right? Correct. Yep. 
and then now you've, you've done that. You started in Utah, brought it to Georgia, and now Florida. Uh, how is your real estate sales business structured? So as far as my team setup goes, I'm a one-man operation. Um, I joined EXP about a year ago, uh, thanks to, to your help, Dan, and it's been a great move for me. Um, the model fits kind of the way I operate my business. Um, I, all, I have support because I am in multiple markets. I've learned to kind of leverage out my time on the things that I can get help with. So I have a transaction coordinator that handles contract to close details. Um, and then I also have showing agents across all my different markets because I still do some work in the residential space in North Metro Atlanta, and then I'm all over North Georgia and then Florida Panhandle. So I rely on uh, showing agents for, for help there. And then as far as kind of how I'm generating business and, and getting in touch with people, I've built a lot of my business off the back of in Instagram, um, posting content there. And that's how I've found a lot of my investor clients in the short-term rental space because I post a lot about my own short-term rental investing. Um, and then I've, I've recently been really leaning into LinkedIn as well. So uh, it's mostly social media. And then I, I'm, as I've kind of matured in the business a, a few years in now, I'm starting to get those repeat clients turning around and selling and refer lots of referrals and stuff like that. Is LinkedIn, uh, are those are those leads coming from content you create and post on LinkedIn, or is it reach you know reaching out that you do? Yeah, good question. So I actually uh, worked worked at LinkedIn for a couple of years, um, and and was doing kind of the full time real estate sales, full time W two uh, at LinkedIn in their sales and marketing organization. So for a long time, I kind of kept my LinkedIn brand separate, uh, given that I was employed by them as I was building up my real estate business. Um, but since, since leaving LinkedIn, it's been about a year actually now. Um, so for, for a couple of years there, I was doing, you know, 40 hours a week in real estate and 40 hours a week at LinkedIn. And, um, so it's, it's nice to be just full-time real estate the last, uh, 12 months or so, but it's also allowed me to build my, my personal brand on LinkedIn. So it's been mostly posting and I really started ramping up. I was always pretty bullish on LinkedIn because the, the appetite for the the balance between supply and demand on that platform is is so favorable for creators. There's so many eyeballs on there, so much, so many impressions, and so few creators uh, because the I think the the environment of LinkedIn is is a little bit intimidating to be be posting. Um, so that's been really good. A lot of content creation. Do you do you post original content or are are you maybe like repurposing what you've already done for Instagram? for instance? For starters, because I had years of Instagram content to pull from, it was a lot of repurposing. And um, and I do a lot of cross-posting, but maybe adjusting to the platform a little bit. Okay, awesome. Um, and you're, from the cost standpoint, you mentioned showing agents, transaction coordinators. I'm assuming uh, you're getting these services like per deal or per showing or, or are they on staff or? Yeah, I've, I've stayed lean. I had, had the market not shifted kind of the direction it did the last 18, 24 months. I could have, I could have potentially brought on maybe a social media manager or some, something like that, but I've opted to stay a little leaner and my both, both the showing agents and the transaction coordinators are 
um, at, on a per per showing or per contract basis. Awesome. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think for a lot of people, that's the, the business model. Yeah. That the people are going to in this market. Speaking of this market, higher interest rates and um, you know rate hikes have gone on longer than I think a lot of people predicted a year ago. Uh, how has that affected? your, your sales, your, you know, transaction count and just how you deal with buyers and sellers. Yeah. So I went into 2023 and really the end of 2022, as I was leaving, shifting out of my W2 career, um, knowing that it was going to be hard and, and expecting, I'm not a fortune teller of course, but expecting kind of what we've seen this year. So none of it has been particularly surprising to me. I think I felt, um, a sense of confidence given that the diversity of my client pool and that I, I have a, a, my, my foundation was residential real estate locally in a, in a healthy, stable market, despite all the, the kind of the negative conditions. And then I also have the, the, the investor pool buying short-term rentals. And as long as the, the numbers pencil, um, they're, they're going to keep buying all day, regardless of the emotion. Right. So, um, I've been, for, and I also knew that with my increased time and knowledge and growth in the industry, I felt like, I feel like, and will continue to feel like for the next couple of years that I'll continue to be kind of gaining market share. And so that's kind of how it's played out for me in 2023 is that my 2023 volume will end up pretty similar to my 2022 volume, which I know is rare for a lot of agents. Um, but that's in part because I've, I'm now. Um, channeling a lot more energy and effort into the business than I than I was, even though I was doing doing a lot of work last year. Um, and I'm just I've, I, I'm gaining market share, even though the market's smaller. So it's been a, it's been a good year. It definitely feels like the headwinds have gotten a little bit stronger in the last couple of weeks with with more Fed bad news. But with each passing bad month, it feels like we're just another month closer to things turning around. So I'm feeling optimistic. Yeah. How, uh, in general, speaking of that, how are you feeling about 2024? And I, again, I know you're not a, uh, a fortune yeah. teller, but what, yeah. do you, what do you think of the market will do and what are you doing to prepare for it? Yeah, I, it, it based on, you know, I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts of people much smarter than me, uh, you and, and others. Uh, I listen to a lot of housing data analysts uh, from housing wire and, and different places. And I, my sense is that at some point there's going to be a rate cut cycle. Um, the, the feds, you know, not too far away from that. It seems at some point we'll get a little bit more predictability and stability in the market, I think is what a lot of people are, um, thirsting for, even if rates stay higher, just knowing that they're going to be stable, I think we'll bring people back into the market and we're now, uh, you know, we're now coming up on, we're going to be at two, but you know, by the start of 2024, we're going to be coming up on two years of, of this kind of rate hike cycle. Right. And so I don't know if it's going to be in 2024 or 2025, but either way we're getting closer to that either, you know, that rate stabilization and then that rate cut cycle. And my feeling and perception is that as soon as that starts, the buyers are going to flood back in inventory is going to be constrained, um, like it is. And we're going to see another run up in pricing. And, um, and so I think I'm feeling good about, you know, guiding people, uh, at this stage and looking over the next six to 12 months that 
hey, you might have a higher carrying cost and you shouldn't plan on that dropping anytime soon. But if you look at history and you look at the cycle we're in, um, you know, the next 12 to 18 months is probably going to be a good time to catch some suppressed inventory before the run up again. Um, so I'm optimistic. I feel, I feel like it's a great time to have listings still, um, because of the lack of inventory in my markets. And, um, you know, it's a good time to be, if you're in a position to buy and deal with some of those higher carrying costs for say one to three years, uh, it's a great time to lock in some, some good real estate before, before another bull run. What are you doing to generate more listings? Cause I, I, I do believe uh, what you say that, that listings, right? This is a good time to have listings. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, buyers, buyers can run you ragged, you know, to say the least uh, yeah. <laughs> right now, because there's just not a lot of inventory. So, yeah. Yeah. I, so I'm doing a couple of things. One is I'm staying active in Facebook groups relative to my vacation rental markets because there's a good pool of distressed Airbnb investors, I think is um, an opportunity area for listings, um, finding people who are maybe asking questions about switching over management companies or looking at getting feedback on listings and things like that. Um, so, so engaging in Facebook groups and private messaging people that are potential listing opportunities there. Um, and then, and then also just seeing that natural cycle of, of past clients, staying in touch with them. And I think that's one of the strengths of my business that I've built is because I'm a, a fellow investor with uh, kind of a peer with a lot of my clients, I'm in the trenches with them investing. I have kind of this natural opportunity to stay in touch with them and continue to be a partner in the success of their investment. And so it's natural for us to text or call um, relatively frequently post closing without me having a real structured or stiff, uh, kind of nurture cadence. Um, we stay in touch and that leads to referral opportunities for on the sell side for them or for, you know, friends and family. Awesome. Well, you've, you've, uh, dropped a lot of good nuggets on how to run an efficient business, you know, combining multiple areas, multiple sources of accounts, multiple sources of income, uh, what would you say if, you, if we had this conversation five years from now, um, what's something that you're not doing now that, that you think five years from now will have a, a bigger impact, uh, on where you are in life? In life or real estate or both? <laughs> both, anything. <laughs> what's something I'm not doing now that I'll, I'll be doing then, um, Yeah, I think, I think in, in, as far as real estate goes, I think I'll be working with, um, more established, like higher end, um, clients as, as a natural progression, as, uh, my, uh, my demographic, my buyer pool, my client, my network, um, ages and, and establishes themselves in their, their careers it'll be both natural in that sense. And, and also the way I'm kind of pushing my expertise and experience level, I'll be working on higher end properties at higher price points. And so that'll create some additional efficiency in my business and also be a nice, um, 
a nice diversification away from a lot of the kind of smaller end properties that I've been doing. And then as far as life goes, earlier this year, I, I joined a CrossFit gym and uh, I'm not here to preach, <laughs> but I've, I've had a real uh, like physical transformation, but I'm still relatively early in it. And that's been really core to just my overall well-being and productivity in my business and my discipline and my ability to do hard things. And so I think five years removed from now, I'll just be a machine uh, in terms of additional discipline um, built and, and um, that, that'll be a huge part of it. Awesome. Well, it's uh, it was great to catch up with you and, and just hear about all the amazing things you're doing in business. Before we wrap up, I always like to do a hyper fast round if you're ready for a few rapid fire questions here. Let's do it. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate agent in, in this market today? My biggest piece of advice would be to just get get busy um, doing stuff. So start uh, start walking homes, start talking to other agents, go to lunch with people, um, just start having lots of conversations and seeing lots of homes and analyzing lots of rental properties. And you're just going to have to get like your, your 10,000 hours one way or another. So just start knocking them out, having those conversations and, and walking homes and learning, um, learning the business. What is the biggest mistake you see experienced agents making? I'm often surprised by the way experienced agents disrespect other agents that they don't already know. Um, maybe because they're legacy agents in a market that I've newly entered, for example, uh, or they just have this uh, sort of sense of ego that they are better than other agents uh, because that um, really hurts their business and hurts their clients ultimately if they have a reputation of being a jerk. So um, staying humble, staying kind, staying friendly, staying responsive, um, that, you know, those are, those are goals I have no matter how seasoned I get in this business. All right. What's been your biggest challenge in real estate? Um, I, I would say one of the most difficult things about being new in real estate and something I've figured out over time, but it still stings sometimes is, is, knowing how to kind of filter people who are um, really being disrespectful of your time because that really hurts. Um, obviously, not every interaction is, a, is just a transaction of value. There are certainly time, a time and a place to be helpful and just give back and pay it forward and all that, all that good stuff. But there have been times where, whether it's someone I know closely or a stranger, have really just taken advantage of, of me and um, that, that can hurt. And so just getting, getting comfortable with that happening and also learning how to filter those situations and, and, uh, and, um, and protect your time be, and balance like being kind and helpful and giving back with protecting your time and your family and, and your energy too. Do you think we are gonna have an Airbnb crash? No. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. The, the the thing I go back to is is the underlying demand for Airbnbs 
uh, as as we see demographic shifts and who has the money and who's traveling and the adoption of technology and Airbnb as a way of travel, um, I think there's an underlying uh, kind of tidal wave in favor, a tailwind in favor of Airbnb demand. So we are in a down season from a really hot 2021, 2022, early 2022, um, and it's stabilizing, but uh, it's going to be up and to the right, generally speaking, for, for a long time, in my opinion. All right. I, I tend to agree with you on that. Uh, last question. Uh, where do you see yourself five years from now? Business-wise, life-wise, all that good stuff. Yeah, I see myself with some other eight, some additional agents helping as I service more markets and as a go-to premium option for investing in real estate in the markets that I service, producing five to 10 X the, the volume that I've been producing the last year or two as a natural byproduct of capturing more market share based on a premium experience. Um, and I'll probably have a third kid at that point. So we'll see how those things uh, <laughs> run together. Um, and uh, you know how that goes, Dan. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll probably be on the investing side, I'll probably be recycling a property or two into better properties, doing some 1031 exchanges into some better uh, lifestyle lifestyle properties, um, taking some of my initial investments and, and up-leveling those. So uh, I think that's what a good five-year run looks like. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Before we sign off, if there's other clients uh, or buyers or sellers in, in the area listening or real estate agents that might want to work with you, how do people connect with you? Yeah. At Cushman Holmes, C-U-S-H-M-A-N, uh, Holmes, one word, at Cushman Holmes on Instagram. And I love to pay referrals to, to other realtors and I take good care of people and I also close deals. So um, I'm, I'm a good referral source um, and I, I take, I prioritize that long-term relationship with clients. So with All right, at Cushman Homes, at Cushman Homes on Instagram. And if you're an agent and you want to work with someone that knows the Airbnb market and can help you in that area as well, you definitely should reach out to Connor. So uh, thank you, Connor, for being on the show. To all of our listeners and viewers, uh, thank you for tuning in today. Please share this episode with other uh, agents and investors that you think would benefit from all these amazing insights, and we will see you next time.